Hello, friends, and welcome to a golf podcast unlike any other. This is Fairway Rollin' on the Ringer Podcast Network. I am your starter, Joe House. Every week on Fairway Rollin', it is myself and our PGA Tour correspondent on the ground, Nathan Hubbard, talking all things professional golf, amateur golf, amateur betting, professional betting, amateur drinking, professional drinking by birdie buddies. If you want to hit them straight out there, please check out Fairway Rolling every week. Available on Spotify. Howdy, I'm Ben Solak, and this is the Ringer NFL Show. I'm joined today by the magnificent Stephen Ruiz. Stephen, say hi to the people. Hi, people. And today we're doing the first half of a two-parter as we start to hone our gaze into the 2023 NFL season. We want to talk about the future of the sport, in particular, what the dominant forces are on the offensive, that's today, and defensive, that's next week, sides of the ball. This is like talking about the meta in a video game or the prevailing strategy of a war for anybody who doesn't play video games. We want to talk about who's doing the stuff that works and if that stuff can stick, not just into next season, but into the seasons to come. This is the Ringer NFL Show, and today we're talking the future of NFL offenses. Steven, whenever we do like NFL offense talk or NFL defense talk, what's the league doing? League-wide perspective stuff. I always want to start with that metaphor of the imagery of the, the pendulum. So I think that it's critical to understand that the league develops on a pendulum. Stuff goes in vogue and the pendulum starts swinging one way. It swings towards the past and it swings towards later personnel and it swings towards spread. But then inevitably defenses catch on to some solutions and that pendulum reaches a maximum point and starts to swing back where teams need to move to heavier personnel and they need to learn how to run the football. And there's just this give and this take. There's this constant cyclical nature to NFL uh, development. And that's why, like, stopping in one specific moment in time, like stopping in this period right now and saying, okay, what's the league meta and where is it going is challenging because it's not hard to figure out, like, where the pendulum's swinging. Like, we can see the momentum. We can see the velocity of it. Okay, it's headed this way. But we don't know if it's going to retain that momentum and keep swinging or if there's going to be a swing back. And that's what I think the really interesting thing and also the challenging thing is to talk about is where are we in this pendulum's path? What can we expect to start swinging back? Yeah, it's always hard to, uh, to figure out like where you are in that pendulum swing, like in one pendulum swing, and whether things are going to continue the way they have over the last year or two, or they're going to change dramatically. I think we like in 2017, we probably thought the league was going in a different direction. It's it's always based on who wins, right? Like the Eagles had just won the Super Bowl; they had won it with Nick Foles, not you know, world beating quarterback. And they did it with RPOs. And it was, that was pretty new at the time. And that was seen as the future of the NFL, like shotgun, spread it out, run the RPO. And the opposite happened. McVay and Shanahan came along and now condensed offenses from under center, traditional play action offenses that don't even think about the RPO outside of like your, you're like you're running outside zone and there's a backside slant if the cornerback is playing off too much. That's not like a real RPO. That's like RPOs Brett Favre was running in the 90s. So and I think right now it's really tough just because you have Shanahan kind of evolving and you have this, this coaching tree that we spent a lot of time talking on this podcast for the last month, just spreading out and kind of there's factions within it. 
And we don't know who's going to win that little internal battle between the Shanahan family. And I think that's going to dictate where offenses go. And And because defenses are so reactionary, you can't really understand where defense is going without first understanding where offense is going, which is partly why we set up this podcast series, this two-part series, the way that we did it. Yeah, no. It, and that that point of like smaller families within the overall league meta and accordingly like smaller pendulums, I think is really important because like let's let's continue on that Eagles RPO example. Okay, so uh, Eagles win the Super Bowl off of the RPO, and let's let's make Doug Peterson like a a a, a fragment of the Andy Reid tree, and the Eagles and the Chiefs were like leading the league in RPOs back in like 2017, 2018. And so one of the 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 resultant swings is Matt Nagy, and he goes and takes over the Bears, and they run a ton of RPOs, and there's just nothing, right? Like it just does not work well for Andy Dalton, and it does not work well for Justin Fields. You also have Frank Reich lead. Mr. Trubisky erasure. Oh my God. Oh, actually, just, and, just and, went right over it. And, listen, <laughs> and and young Mitchell, of course. Mitchell, Mr. Trubisky as well. I I it's tricky because I don't think of Mitch as like it wasn't great for him because I don't think anything was great for Mitch, unfortunately. And it kind of was good yeah. for him though. It kind of was. The, I like mean, as like close he, as you're gonna get to be yeah, being right, good for Mitch. Yeah. I know it, I know what point you're making. But so yeah. so you have that, but then you also have Frank Reich, who leaves Doug Peterson's coaching staff and he goes to Indianapolis, and there's this like, he's gonna do a bunch of RPO stuff. That's how the Eagles won the Super Bowl. And they didn't really do that. You know what I'm saying? Like we obviously like like the Colts' entire offensive plans in the late 2010s got hacked and they had a carousel of guys and there was confusion, but still, as these pendulums swing there will be like a divergence and the two, two, two brains will start going in different directions and we'll see who meets resistance and who doesn't. Like you said, it's often predicated on who wins. And I want to start by trying to define a league meta, which is not possible because too many different coaches are doing too many different things. And even among the coaches that are having a lot of offensive success, there's still huge differences. But if we go to define a league meta, like what the league is doing right now, it's interesting because my first thought is... Uh, Let's go look at the coaches who've been doing this for a long time and see what they've been doing and what they're doing now. Steven, do you know how many coaches are coaching the offensive side of the ball, either as the coordinator or as the head coach, and are on the same team and have been running the same stuff for the last five years? How many total in the league are doing it? I would say three. It's four, actually, right? I think that number is a lot lower than people would expect. Yeah. So there's so when you do five years, what you do is you get the... Uh, Kyle Shanahan and the Sean McVay in there, right? Those guys are both going to be entering year six. Uh, they were hired in 2017. No, so this was year six. They're entering year seven. Were they hired in 2017 or 2018? I always get thrown off by counting the number of years when things happen. 2017. Yeah, they're hired in 2017, so they finished six years. Now they're entering year seven. Even though this year is 2023, numbers are fake and not real. <laughs> Andy Reid, obviously, been doing this for a long time, 10 years now. Uh, he's been, he's done this as, as the head coach of the Kansas City Chiefs. This upcoming year will be year 11. And then the one that I think nobody would get is Pete Carmichael, baby. Offensive coordinator of the New Orleans Saints. Just been chopping wood since 09, brother. Just been, just been out there hanging out, calling some plays for Sean Payton, coach of Drew Brees. Never hear nothing about Pete Carmichael, Steven. No flowers from my man Pete. No, yeah. I like... It's kind of funny because when we talk when we talked about Sean Payton last week, we were kind of saying that it's hard to explain what he does, and I think that's part of the reason why nobody nobody knows who Pete Carmichael is. There's like nothing you can point to, like oh yeah, his blank is really good, his run game is like really solid, his play action passing designs are great. No, he's just he's he's Pete Carmichael or whatever his name is, and 
if Chris Olave ends up what we hope he's going to be, and Rashid Shaheed continues doing what he's doing, I'm 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 willing to say P. Carmichael is a good developer of wide receiver talent. I'll give him I'll give him that one. They just do a good job there in New Orleans with those boys. Regardless, you have a few guys who are who represent like stable schemes, and they haven't necessarily been doing it for as long at one team, one location, but they've been doing it for a while, right? Zach Taylor's been calling an offense for the last five years. Uh, Brian Callahan with Cincinnati has been for the last four years. That's the offense that Zach Taylor runs, though, has changed a little bit, right? And so, it like, how stable is he? How representative is he of a meta? Difficult to say. You have that Sean Payton tree, right? Payton ran an offense for a long time in New Orleans. Joe Lombardi ran an offense for a long time in Detroit, was a quarterback's coach in New Orleans, and then ran an offense for a long time with the Chargers. He's now the OC of the Broncos with Sean Payton. So you have kind of that tree who represents a, a pretty consistent through line of the last 10 years. Brian Dable? has coached an offense for the last five years. He was the OC of the Bills for four seasons and now at this fifth year with the Giants. And then you could do Kellen Moore as well, who had the last, uh, who's had the last four years with the Cowboys and is entering his fifth year uh, uh, now with the Chargers as, as the OC. And so you have these, like, at least some guys who've been doing this for a, enough years that we can point to and be like, okay, we kind of know what this guy is. We kind of know what he runs. And we have a few years worth of data to understand what he achieves. But obviously, they run different stuff. Peyton runs demonstrably different stuff than Shanahan, runs different stuff than Brian Dable, runs different stuff than Reed. So when I drop these names to you, Stephen, if you were to use this group to describe like the current offensive meta in the NFL, how would you do it? Who would you highlight as like the dominant forces? Who would you then highlight as like also successful, but like more undercurrents, more secondary forces? Is there Are there things that link these guys? Are there important things that differentiate these guys? Using this landscape of dudes, how would you try to define an offensive meta for me? I think I start with like the easiest way to bucket an offense or offensive play types. And I think it starts with shotgun versus under center usage and then like personnel usage. I think that's the easiest way to do it because at the end of the day, we, we like to talk about these differences, but there's a lot of overlap with NFL offenses. They're generally running the same stuff. It's the presentation that changes. It's like the verbiage that changes. So I would start there, like shotgun versus under center and how often you want to be in it. And I would put like the Shanahan McVay guys on, on one end and they're in the, the, they want to be under center. They want to run play action. They want to have a nice run game. And then I'd put like guys like Andy Reid. I'd put Brian Dayball at the end of this other spectrum where it's like, we want to spread things out. The passing game is the the focal point of our offense, whereas I think the other guys, the running game is the focal point of their offense, and that's and you kind of see how they set up, like going under center and having condensed formations makes for a better run game, it makes for a more intricate run game. You can do more stuff in the run game, whereas on the other end of the spectrum, you have guys spread out. You only have so many people in the box. Maybe it's a running back, maybe it's a tight end who's not really good at blocking. You can really only run a handful of concepts from there. But you could do so much more in the passing game now. And I think that's how I would start to bucket these guys. And that makes it more convenient for us just because it's easier. It's easier for me to compare Brian Dayball's offense to Andy Reid's offense in that way because than it is if we were actually looking at concepts and terms and, and verbiage because I don't think there's a lot of over, overlap there. I think they come from two different worlds, but they ended up in the same spot just because of, and I think this is a major point, especially because we're going to be talking about play calling and, and X's and O's and how much it matters. I think one point we need to get across is personnel dictates everything. Personnel dictates the metas of the league, the play calling metas, which teams are good, which teams aren't, how we think of coaches. And I really think that's what is dictating these differences more so than even 
even like philosophy. I think we saw with Sean McVay, he went from this guy who was very clearly like on the same side of the spectrum as Kyle Shanahan and how he ran his offense, how he set up his offense. But once he got Matthew Stafford, he went as far away from that as possible while still like being in the same, you know, family, using the same verbiage in the same formations. So I think personnel plays a big role in it. But if we're bucketing these guys based on their personnel right now, think that's how you do it. Shotgun, how much, like, what's the focal point of their offense runner pass? And then under center and the same thing. And I think that's where those two sides of the league are are clearly separated. Yeah. I want to start with the personnel conversation because I think a common thing that you see when we step back and look at the league meta overall as like an, an NFL analyzing community, NFL analyzing media is this through line of logic, which is teams can run different personnel. Uh, the personnel is typically uh, identified, like it's typically labeled by a set of numbers. Let's take 12 personnel, for example. The first digit is the number of running backs that's on the field for the offense. And the second digit is the number of tight ends that are on the field for the offense. However, many numbers remain, however many spots remain for the five eligible players, that's how many receivers there's going to be. So 12 personnel is one running back, two tight ends. Accordingly, there's only two spots left, two receivers. 11 personnel, which is the most common NFL personnel, is one running back, one tight end, and three receivers. And 11 wasn't always the most common, right? 11 uh, has come into vogue with spread. It's come into vogue with three receiver sets, right? The Patriots put Wes Welker out there and everybody was like, holy smoke, stop the presses. You can put a third receiver on the field. Like that, this, this is pendulum stuff, right? So the pendulum massively swings towards 11 personnel since like the late 2000s. And now I think you see a lot of people who now we have great data and we look at DVOA numbers and we look at expected points added numbers and we look at success rate numbers. And in a lot of instances, 12 personnel, one running back, two tight ends is more successful on a down-to-down basis looking at league-wide numbers than 11 personnel is. And so you see people respond and say, the league should run more 12. And I think that's like a, that's, that's a good example of like a surface-level NFL meta discussion. And I think we're trying to have that and we're also trying to get a few layers deeper. So let me throw that at you, Stephen. Uh, the NFL should run more 12 personnel. Agree or disagree and why? Uh, disagree because I don't think NFL teams have the personnel to run it. I, the, I remember like the Baker Mayfield stuff. Is This is like 2018, 2019, 2020 when we're talking about... I think it was like... At that point, we weren't blaming Baker Mayfield for the Browns offense if it failed. Like There was still like the Freddie Kitch- Kitchen stink on the offense. And a lot of the talk was like, wow, they need to run more 12 personnel. Like they're not doing it enough. And then Stefanski comes in and he does it and it works. And Baker Mayfield is like a top 10 quarterback statistically. And then the next year they run a, a lot of 12 personnel again and it stinks. It doesn't work because they don't have the same personnel. It's like Baker's not as good. And then like the people that were clamoring for more 12 personnel are now like, why are they running more 11 personnel? This is so dumb. They're running too much 12. And it just changes every year to the point where it's it's a useless data point for me. Like I'm more concerned over how you're deploying that 12 personnel. And I think the Rams were, that's that was like the secret to the Rams success initially was like they're running 11 personnel not coming out of it. But the formations they're running are are formations you would see out of a 12 personnel offense. Like Cooper Cup is basically a tight end. Robert Woods is basically a tight end. And I think that's a far more interesting question. And I also think the data, when you're just looking surface level personnel usage, can be very misleading because of that. Yeah, so I think that, right, personnel, like you, you, you said personnel is one of the most 
effective ways to start to bucket these guys and start to understand where the league is meta-wise. I agree, but I think you have to go a step further and say personnel as connected to formation, right? Like I go and I look at right now, the Los Angeles Rams led the league last season in plays in 11 personnel. This is not a surprise. This is Sean McVay runs the whole ship out of 11. Now, when the Rams ran this and Sean McVay, I think is a, is a, is a, is league meta. Like, I think we have to agree that the league meta is Sean McVay to a degree because like, more Nine. so than Kyle Shanahan, too. More so than yeah. Kyle, because Kyle is running with unique personnel groupings with a t- with a fullback right. on the field. Right, right. Because right now, how many Kyle Shanahan OCs are there? There's him, like offensive play callers, I should say. There's him, there's Mike McDaniel from his tree, and then you can't even say Mike LaFleur because that was the ex-OC of the Jets because he's now the OC of the Rams, which means he belongs to Sean. The, he, like, he might bring some Shanahan stuff, but like, He's he's now like it, 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 you can't say the Rams running Shanahan stuff. They're running McVay stuff, no question. Meanwhile, McVay's got himself, Zach Taylor, Matt Lafleur, Kevin O'Connell, definitely another guy I'm forgetting, and and the Lions are running his stuff, <laughs> right? Could, which yeah, we're gonna get to Ben Johnson later. But Ben Johnson's the son of a gun, who I think is like the most interesting dude when it comes to this conversation. Now. So I think McVay is a, is a league meta setter. And right now, these guys, the, the Rams are running more 11 personnel than anybody else. Second on that 11 personnel list is the Cincinnati Bengals. Zach Taylor is from Cincinnati, right? Or it's from, it's from the Rams. He's from under that tree. They run a ton of 11 personnel. Now, obviously, for the Bengals, if you had T. Higgins, uh, uh, Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd, and you weren't running a lot of three receiver sets, you weren't running a lot of 11 personnel, you're dumb. You're playing old stupid. Like, you just got to be running this stuff. You got to be putting all three of these guys on the field. And that's why we then go and we look at shotgun under center numbers. And leading the league in under center usage is the Detroit Lions because they run McVay stuff. But then second is Los Angeles Rams. The Rams had almost half of their offensive snaps this past season come from under center. That's McVay's way. We go into the center. We run play action. We run outside zone. We run play action stuff off of the outside zone. The Bengals are fifth. Not in under center rate, but in shotgun rate. They are on the other pole. They are on the other side of things. And that's where like, it's personnel as tied to formation. Personnel ha- as it relates to deployment. Personnel how it is used on the field. And it's why I don't think you can successfully say the league meta is 11 personnel. It is, but we have to be able to go a step further and say like the league meta is 11 personnel condensed. League meta is 11 personnel no longer using it as a spread formation, but using it as heavy formations. It goes back to your point, which is that teams are are doing 12 personnel formations, but they don't have the bodies to run 12 personnel. There's not enough good tight ends, man. Like the 13th best tight end in the league right now is Dawson Knox. And the Bills are drafting Dalton Kincaid and trying to trade him. Like there's just not enough talent there relative to wide receiver where there's so many dudes. And so one of the beauties of McVay is I can get 12 formation stuff or 12 personnel formations, 12... 12 personnel formation looking plays out of 11 personnel. Whereas the Bengals, the Bengals go, okay, we got Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, and Jamar Chase. We are now going to step away from this condensed world. You're going to step away from this under center world, step away from this, let's run the football in a variety of ways in the run play action world, and just let our really good receivers beat everybody in isolation, which is the spread, which is going back to 11 personnel spread. That's leaving the Zach Taylor stuff and moving more towards the OC, the Brian Callahan stuff that he ran with Peyton Manning when he was with the Broncos. And so when we talk personnel, like that relationship right there of, of yes, 
three receivers, one tight end, one running back. But what does it look like on the field? How is it being deployed? It's so important to understanding where these groups diverge, where some of them converge, you get conversion evolution. And that's how we start to figure out where a league meta is. And I would, to, to add on to that, I think the next step or the next like frontier for these guys is applying that same logic like, oh, we don't have the personnel to run 12, but we want to run those formations. We're just going to do it with wide receiver bodies. I think the next next step is finding a- similar answers for like schematic stuff. Like, oh, we want to get into play action concepts, but it's you have to invest a lot to run proper play action. And I think that's where we're starting to see some of these guys from this tree, this influential tree, like Mike McDaniel and Sean or in uh, Kyle Shanahan, I see. I think that's where we start to see them kind of deviate from what they were doing even three years ago. Yeah, uh, I want to take a break. And when I come back, I want to talk about some of the non-McVay-Shanahan guys because we have to, uh, to, to kind of round out where we're looking at a league meta and then we can move forward from there. But first, I want you to purchase the advertised goods and services. Okay, so we're back. Bobby Slowick is the is the Shanahan guy. I forgot. He's the new OC of the Houston Texans. So he's the branch off of the Shanahan tree that I forgot about. And anybody who gets mad at me in the comments, you can't get mad at me in the comments because I went and I found him. Shane Waldron. That's the, the Rams guy. I forgot. Freaking Shane. Who does a good job with Geno Smith, which we're going to talk about later. Anyway, Shanahan McVay, I think... Right. It's all about personnel formation, how they relate. Like, that's what those guys are doing. Shanahan's running 21 personnel, which is the, the extra fullback, right? That's the extra running back. That's that's the extra body in the box to bring this, like, high variety running game to the table. And you see that with McDaniel as well. Runs a ton of 21 personnel. But they do it with Tyreek and Jalen Waddle, and it looks a little bit different. So that's your Shanahan-McVay grouping. Andy Reid. Andy's, like, Andy's it. Like, and. and the most successful offensive coach of the last decade is Andy Reid. Agree or disagree? Agree. What's Andy doing? What's the situation? Last two decades. Last two decades. Yeah, give it to him. I, I did last decade because of the chief. And because I think like once you widen the scope of the two decades, you start to get like conflating information about like what the league meta is right now. But yeah, Andy's the man. What's Andy up to in terms of, of, of defining league meta characteristics? Because five years ago, RPO spread. And then you and I hopped on hopped on the sticks this year, the Super Bowl, writing articles, doing podcasts, doing videos. And what was the only thing we freaking talked about for that whole Chiefs game preparing for the Eagles? Tight ends. 13 personnel tight ends, <laughs> baby. When the Chiefs beat you, they're going to beat you with Noah Gray, Jody Fortson, and Isaiah Pacheco, right? Like it was, it, it just, to imagine you and I hanging out, watching like the 2019 Chiefs and then us time traveling coming four years later, I've added like 15 pounds. You've gotten hitched. It's great. And we're like, hey, guess what? In four years, you're going to be talking so much about the Chiefs, heavy personnel and them running the football. We would have thought our time traveling versions of ourselves were crazy. So what? when when you think about Andy Reid's con- contributions to league meta right now, him and then the tree that comes off him and Doug Peterson and then Frank Reich and Nick Sirianni, where do you land? I think he is more of a coach. Let me revisit one thing I said last, last segment. And this is good. This I, is good. Good, 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 good. This is good. I want to clear something up. It live. I, I didn't say that the best way to uh, bucket those 
offenses with, was with like shotgun and understand. I said it was the easiest way to do it. I think the best way to do it, and there's actually this debate going on. It's starting to percolate on like weird corners of soccer internet. Is I'm interested. There's this like conflicting ideas on the on either ends of the philosophical spectrum. On one end, you have something that they call positionalism, and this is like Pep Who Guardiola. branded positionalism. I agree with the other guys. Well, there's a lot of sight unseen. Okay, there's a fair. lot of translation, so it kind of gets lost cool. in translation. Google, but okay. on the other I end accept. of positionalism, posi- and like if I'm doing NFL analogies, positionalism would be Kyle Shanahan. Okay. Like we want guys in certain spots at certain times. It, it, it could be different bodies. It could be like Kyle Juszczyk. It could be George Kittle. And that's like where you get the flexibility within this rigid system. And on the other end of that, and this and this is like a growing trend, especially in South America, because there's like this debate in Brazil right now where the the national team isn't doing as well because there's too much European influence and positional play is like that European influence. The Europeans just out here ruining our Brazilian football. Right. They're like, this let our players cook. Just let them hoop. <laughs> and like, that's called relationism. And it's like how players relate on the pitch and how they express themselves. I love the way that like soccer analysts talk about their sport. It's like so much more, it's like more poetic. They're like, players don't play, they express themselves. <laughs> it's beautiful. Positionalism, positionalism versus relationism sounds like a like Lutheran era European philosophical debate that like I didn't understand in college. You know what I'm saying? No, that's how they talk about the sport. It's insane. And like they'll like reference. We gotta, like, we gotta bring that. No more you and I making dumb jokes, throwing little barbs no. and like Kirk Cousins. Let's start talking about the beauty of how Jimmy Garoppolo expresses himself. No, because these guys like like back in the day when like soccer punditry became a thing like these guys were having debates in like coffee houses in austria they weren't like at the bar getting drunk being like you know what fucking dan marino can't win a ring he's a loser he's a fucking beta loser they weren't doing that they were they, and they actually appreciate like players even if they don't right yeah we gotta get we gotta get spotify to fly us out to sweden and then we'll hang out in some coffee shops and we'll see how that elevates our discourse that'd how be, it elevates our perfect. product would be good but anyway i think andy reed falls on that relationism uh end of the spectrum where he's just like, I have Patrick Mahomes and Patrick Mahomes does cool shit and him and uh, him and Kelsey have this weird relationship together where they're just like on the same wavelength at all times. Like who cares if Kelsey decides to break off a route at this depth and d- do this instead. And I think that's where you're really seeing this tension between these schemes and, the, and like either end of these spectrums. I think you saw the Rams offense take a step when they went away from the positionalism end of the spectrum towards Matthew Stafford throwing fucking no-look passes with the Super Bowl on the line. Kyle Shanahan doesn't want his quarterback doing that. He does not. He wants his quarterback to be on time, on target in this spot. And I think that's real where you're seeing the pendulum swing. And that happens in every single sport. It, like, I think a lot of these, like, big schematic X's and O's, whatever you want to call it, these lessons apply to every single sport. And, like, the, the goal is always the same, and it's to find space. And I think these coaches across sports are dealing it, dealing with similar issues. And I think you can learn a lot from that, that framework. Yeah. This, this, I love this. I, I fully did not understand the soccer metaphor for like the first 40% of it. And then once you got like the Mahomes and relationism, I was there. I'm with you now. The, but then the, here's the perfect anecdote for this. Aaron, okay. think about Aaron Rodgers' first year with Matt LaFleur and Matt LaFleur is like, Hey man, we run this offense. It's sequence. We have to run plays in a proper order. And like, we can't call audibles. Like we can't because we that play sets up this play. And if we don't run it, then we can't run it later. And then Aaron Rodgers is like, you know what? 
uh, I like I like being in control of the offense, and I want Randall Cobb to be on my team and do this because he runs the route the way I like it and not the way you like it. So I think like that's like the perfect encapsulation of this friction. And I think Aaron Rodgers and Matt before were able to kind of balance it out and find a, an answer. Right. And 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 this is so much so. I think this dividing line of like on my time, on my schedule as an offense, running my plays with 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 um my timing versus you guys can express it on the field the way that you think it needs to work. You guys are on the same page enough. You guys have enough talent that you're going to get it done is so much so parallel to the line of who has the elite quarterbacks and who doesn't. Like, it just simply is. Like, it's just, it. you either have the guy or you don't. And I, I always hesitate to argue that things in football are new because I'm four years old. And so it's just a hard sell for me to be like, this is new. And everybody's like, do you remember Y2K? And I'm like, no. Like, so I just don't have a lot of perspective. <laughs> but the, the, the incredible thing, the beauty of the, the Shanahan McVay system exploding is that it raises the floor of quarterbacking. Whenever we talk about it, I always say it raises the floor of quarterbacking. It allows you to get really effective passing offenses out of mid-tier quarterbacks. And when you look back over the history of football, when offenses succeeded without like elite to near elite level quarterbacks, it was often because of, of things they had on the periphery of the passing game. Really, really good running game. Really, really, really good defense. Those were the alternative builds. You don't have an elite quarterback, sucks. You're not a member of the haves. You have to find a way to wiggle through as a member of the have-nots, and that requires a really good defense, a really good running game. Shanahan and McVay, in that they raised the floor of quarterbacking, in that they created this avenue in which you can have a really good passing game without having an elite quarterback, really, I think, have created a relatively new friction in the NFL where you have offenses who have elite quarterbacks who are doing the elite quarterback stuff and then people are like, why aren't you more like these other offenses that throw the ball this way without an elite quarterback? And it's like astonishing that that's a conversation. It's never been that way before, right? It's always been, oh, you have an elite quarterback, then, then whatever you're doing with that guy is right. Whatever you're doing with that guy is correct, right? Like people ask the Bengals why they aren't running more motion. You got Joe Burrow. You're passing the ball incredibly. Like, we talk about motion Kyle Shanahan for This is Joe Burrow. Like he doesn't need this, right? And so that, that relationship I think is new. That friction I do think is, is quite new to the NFL. And so when we look at like Andy Reid running more 13 personnel, as we discussed a ton, like the Chiefs led league in 13 personnel, they led league in EPA on 13 personnel. They run in so much three tight end stuff. He's not running that to create run pass conflicts and to create play action looks and to create certain formations that lead to easier throws on the middle of the field and, and, and create different angles for the timing of this. He's running that because if he puts 13 personnel on the field and he has Patrick Mahomes back there, if you put two linebackers on the field to stop the run. Like, it's just slower guys for Mahomes to pick on. Like, it's just, they're slower. Right, period. Yeah. And Mahomes put, is not concerned with Cody Barton being right, on the exactly. field. <laughs> and if you put a fifth defensive back on the field against 13 personnel, he goes, okay, I'm going to hand it off. And like, what has worked for forever, big guys beating up on small guys in the trenches, is going to work for me now. And Isaiah Pacheco is going to rumble for 80 yards and a score. I'm going to eat the clock and I'm going to make this a, a hell of a game for you. Right? And so, like, it is, I think, reductive to say that Andy Reid's contribution to the league meta is like Mahomes is elite because Andy brings so much from like a West Coast perspective. Uh, and I think that there's like a really interesting through line of like the classic West Coast in terms of like Reid and in terms of like Kellen Moore, who like he doesn't use West, Heart, West Coast terminology, but a lot of like the lineup and play two by two timing stuff, like a lot of that's still familiar, like marry this half field concept with that half field concept. A lot of that's still like kind of West Coasty. Um, so there's like an undercurrent of the traditional West Coast offense that still exists 
underneath this huge new West Coast offense coming out of Shanahan and McVay. So Reed brings that, but I, I agree. I think like from a schematic perspective, it's the more like air raid sensibility, right? Which I, I use that term kind of kind of carefully. Uh, air raid gets misrepresented in terms of like what it is in college, what it is in the NFL. I say air raid, everybody thinks Cliff Kingsbury, and that's not good. No, Cliff was bad. Cliff was not good at offense. I'm not talking about that stuff. But in terms of that run to grass, find space, operate outside of perfect timing, operate outside of perfect, like 15 yards and break back at a 45 degree angle. Let's loosen these bonds a little bit and let the really talented players who've been doing this for a long time feel the space, feel the defenders drops and just deliver the ball where it needs to be delivered. Like that, that Andy brings freedom and fluidity in a way that he didn't really like 10, 15 years ago when he was running stuff with the Eagles, but over his time with like Vic and now over his time with Mahomes and even like Alex Smith, I think starting to to learn where to like loosen those bonds, where where to, where to give a little bit more wiggle room. I do agree. Like I think that's that's a big part of Andy's contribution right now to where the league's at. And I I feel like Shanahan is kind of headed towards that in his own way. Like I feel like Brock Purdy. The reason why Brock Purdy seems to be the 49ers guy for the future, and they seem to be all in on Brock Purdy for some reason, is the fact that he kind of brings that that ability to to play ball a little to like to hoop when it when things break down like he can go get you a bucket sometimes he he throws it out of bounds or he airballs it but he's more willing to do that and then on top of that you have Christian McCaffrey come over and what did they start running like I mean they were already running a bunch of option routes but like they're really spamming them now with Christian McCaffrey and that's another thing where you are giving some ownership, I mean, there are rules that dictate which way you break on an option route, but you are giving some ownership to the quarterback and the receiver to kind of work on that. And who is the king of that that option mentality? That was uh, Peyton when he's with Breeze, and that was even Lombardi when he was with uh, when he was with the Chargers, right? Like, they're running a ton of, like, way too much underneath stuff, way too much curl stuff, way too much flat stuff. But a lot of that is stuff that, like, okay, if the, if you're reading out the corner, you're reading out the nickel, and if, and if he stays here, you curl here. And if he goes that way, then you break this way, right? Like there's, there's that, I think like the idea of, of, of working option routes, like planned spontaneity, intentional looseness into an offense. That's very much so like where Peyton and Lombardi and, 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 and Kellen Moore to a degree, like that's, that's a lot of where those guys I think have, have made that like a successful brand of offense for the last five years. I am interested to see like where Kyle's offense goes from here because one thing that we we always talk about how he props up quarterbacks, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think we ever talk, or, and we talk about how like the quarterback kind of sets the floor and ceiling for his offenses, and we use Matt Ryan as a perfect example of that. We never talk about like the supporting cast, and he's while he's only had like great quarterbacks for that one year, I guess you could say two years with Matt Ryan. He's had like varying levels of supporting cast talent. Like in Washington, it was pretty good. In Cleveland, it was terrible. At the beginning of the 49ers era, like we were talking ourselves into Trent Taylor being a guy. And then now this is like the best, the best supporting cast, best skill player group in the NFL, maybe. It's certainly the most versatile. Who's this who's the second best running back that Kyle Shannon has coached on offense for? He had Devonta Freeman in Atlanta. It's Aaron right? Foster. It's Aaron Foster. It's Aaron Foster. Aaron Foster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was Aaron Foster, because he had he had Steve Slayton in Houston. Did he have Slayton for a year? No, I would no, say I don't twenty. Think so. No, oh, maybe uh, he did. I don't know. I don't know if he had him in twenty twelve or not. But anyway, Foster. But like Foster, Devontae Freeman, who like Foster was good, but Foster was also like the first of the like 
press outside zone button back forever. You know what I'm saying? Foster in this modern NFL. That's how, like, I, that's how we know you're four years old because you just said Arian Foster was like the Broncos weren't just churning out a thousand yard rushers every single year under Mike Shanahan. Like that was a thing. <laughs> yes. But but in terms of like where was Foster drafted again? Like Foster drafted super duper late. Like it was that, like undrafted, I think. Yeah, I think it was undrafted. That model. Um, but yeah, like Devonta Devonta Freeman. Not not Deonta Foreman, which still always trips me up. Um, yeah, Tevin I Coleman. I can't remember who he had in 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 Cleveland. Yeah, Tevin Coleman, Raheem Mostert, like Jeff Wilson, like Christian McCaffrey is a bananas change in terms of what Shanahan can do, running game and passing game. Um, and I agree. Like, I think in a minute here we're gonna take a break, and when we take the break, we're gonna come back. And we're gonna talk about the guys who are pushing league meta, the guys who are redefining the league meta. I think. The dude who is still the number one leader in that, who like if you if you made me pick a guy to watch to understand like where should the league be going, I still think it would be Shanahan, even though he's oh, kind of yeah, become sure. establishment. It's just there's nobody who's more creative. There's nobody who's more experimental, but also successful. Like he just has got it. Like I think overall, like just like league fans, like guys who are just like fans of football and like fans of other teams can get frustrated with how NFL media people talk about Shanahan and especially like NFL analysts and film guys talk about Shanahan and deservedly so because like win a big game, champ, like develop a quarterback. Like, come on. Like there's absolutely big stroke stuff that Shanahan needs to do that he hasn't done. But the reason why like it's hard not to talk about him with the romance of the, 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 the soccer writers in Austria, the reason why it's not like to talk about the beauty that he brings to the game is because he just... Gets it. It feels like he has a crystal ball. He feels like he just always knows, both from like a next drive perspective to next game perspective to next month perspective to next year perspective, just knows what to do next in terms of how to stay on top of NFL defenses in a way that like I can't, I cannot think of another play caller who sequentially and, and developmentally is that dynamic. Like he's just a rocket ship. And so Shanahan to me, rep, like thinking about how that offense changes is a big part of, of where I think the league meta is going. I want to talk about more of those people next. You know who else, Steven, is who deserves to be talked about with the beauty of the Austrian sports writers? Who's that? These, these product sellers. Okay. Shanahan, McVeigh, Reed, Peyton, being around. We know about these cats. It's time to talk about Mike McDaniel, brother. It's time to talk Let's about the guys it. who recently started calling offenses who are doing some cool stuff. And I like it. This can go a, a trillion different ways, right? I brought up the fact that there's only four guys who have been coaching offenses, their offenses for the last like five years. You go and you look at the list of, of current offensive coordinators and you have like, Bill O'Brien, who's like establishment hired last year. Nate Hackett, establishment hired last year. Ton Monken, establishment hired last year. Jim Bob Cooter, who's the Colts OC. <laughs> didn't know that one, by the way. Uh, establishment hired last year. Brian Schottenheimer, establishment hired last year. But all of these guys bring new iterations to what they do. Like Todd Monken's going to push the league meta. Bill O'Brien's going to push the league meta. Absolutely they are, because they're good offensive coaches. And then you get your Eric Bieniemy's outside of... of of Kansas City, which who knows what this is going to look like. You have your Mike Kafka's and your Adam Stenovich's and your Luke Getzies and your Bron your Ben Johnson's, all of whom were hired last season, all of whom did really cool stuff with their respective teams. Shane Waldron with the Seahawks, who did cool stuff with his team. And then Mike McDaniel, who like 
I think we're going to talk about Mike in five years, the way we just talked about McVay and Shanahan now. So same question as I gave you before, but now changing our eyes to a conversation that you and I are having in 2026 and 2027 and 2028. When I, when we look at these new names and some of the new stuff that they're doing and the way that Ben Johnson is pushing the McVay stuff and Kevin O'Connell with the Vikings pushing the McVay stuff, the way that Mike McDaniel is pushing the Shanahan stuff, the way that Shane Steichen pushed and changed the, the, the Nick Sirianni and the Frank Reich stuff. Who do you identify and what trends do you identify as being the, the factors, as being the, the identifiers of the league meta for the next five years? What are going to be the things that we write about the way we wrote about those RPOs that the Chiefs and the Eagles were running, about, were running the way that we wrote about those play-action passes from McVay and Shanahan? Who's your guys? Uh, ben Johnson's at the top of my list. I think, I, like Mike McDaniel, I'm, I'm already sold. Uh, but when I think about the new guys, it's the three that I focus on, more so than like even O'Connell, or even Waldron, I like both of those guys, but I think I don't think it's different enough from what they've run under other coaches for me to get too interested in it. Uh, they definitely bring their own flavor to it, uh, but I don't think it's it's necessarily like changing the meta. I think with Ben Johnson and obviously Mike McDaniel, I think that's different. And then the other name I'll throw in there is is Shane Steichen, and I think the thing that binds all these guys, not so much McDaniel last year, but based on what you've heard about him as an assistant is that they find answers in the run game and they find unique answers in the run game. Like that, one of my favorite yeah. things about, about watching Philly last year was them trying to figure out how best to run against the fronts they were seeing early in the game. And you could like see that process play out from the first quarter to the second quarter to the second half in every Eagles game almost. There was like this one drive that I remember where they found this play that worked against the Giants front that they were playing and they just ran it like eight times in a row. Yep, they ran it three times in a row in one drive and eight times overall in the second half. It was power. And then I think about the Super Bowl. Uh, we think about how good the Eagles' offense was, but like the production of the offense was based on Jalen Hurts and those receivers just making bonkers plays in the passing game. The running game at first, like the Chiefs sold out to stop the running game, and they did, but eventually... Steichen found an answer and he started pulling, he started going empty. He started pulling Travis or uh, Jason Kelsey and having uh, Jalen Hurts keep the ball and just run behind him. And it worked and he found an answer eventually. I, I think the same of Ben Johnson. Like, I think that's the secret to the Lions' success last year was, and even the year before that, was having this run game that had so many buttons it could push that the defense had to account for it. And like the defensive answer was, we're just going to rush five. We're going to have five guys on the line of scrimmage. We're going to have a bunch of guys dedicated to the run fit. So we have an answer or, or a body in the right spot for every run concept you can run. And Johnson was able to not only keep defenses guessing on that front, but also take advantage of those defensive looks. Like they didn't run a lot of play action last year. They were like 20th in play action rate, but they were able to create the same coverage structures because the defense had to play the run a certain way. So you were seeing like a lot of, they were getting a lot of fire zone. And what a fire zone is, is a five-man rush. So uh, technically, like you might call it a blitz. It would get charted as a blitz, but it's not really a blitz. But it's a five-man rush with three deep, three under coverage, like zone coverage on the back end. And those were the coverages that were giving Jared Goff a lot of problems at the end of his, his time in L.A., because he was turning his back to the defense, the picture would change because they rotate because it was a blitz and you can do all this funky stuff in coverage. He would turn his his head and there would be a completely different thing that he saw before he did the play action fake. Now the Lions aren't really running play action. 
still getting like six guys in in coverage, still getting those same holes that you get against play action. But now Jared Goff doesn't have to turn his back to the defense. Now the picture's staying the same for him. And it's easier for him to avoid those mistakes that he was making at the end of his time in L.A. And that was the big reason why McVay moved on from was the turnovers. Like that game against Miami when he turned it over like five times, that was like the la- one of the last straws. So I think like Ben Johnson has something cooking here that isn't, he's not the product of like some great supporting cast. The offensive line is very good and he takes advantage of it. Like Jared Goff is a mid quarterback and they're getting top five results with an, a defense that doesn't really like help them at all. It doesn't make their job any easier. So I, like Ben Johnson for me is a guy who, has figured something out without the benefit of this like extreme personnel. Whereas Mike McDaniel, he did a bunch of cool stuff and I'm at, I'm in the fan club, but you can't overlook the fact that he had Jalen Waddle and Tyree kill. And then like a unique quarterback who could do like crazy things with getting rid of the ball quickly. Yeah. And, and it's funny because like Tua processing speed, Mike McDaniel goes, okay, we're going to run play action. We're going to run RPO. You're going to be able to turn your back to the defense flip your head around and really, really quickly be able to identify that's where my receiver is, that's where he's open and go, right? Like you just have like, it's not processing speed so much as it is like the speed of his process, right? Like he just has like fast feet, has a very fast release. It's not that he's like thinking it through very fast, but he's just able to like get a foot in the ground, dig it out and go, right? Throw that ball very, very quickly. Goff, slower process. Again, like the speed of his process is not fast, it's slow. Long, lanky guy, longer release, Eyes aren't as fast. And so McDaniel runs the stuff that works for Tua, and Ben Johnson runs the stuff that works for Jared Goff. There's, there's quarterback orientation, right? There's, there's running it through it and maximizing your guy. And that's always going to be like league meta. League meta is always going to be like doing what your quarterback does well. That's going to be for, for forever. I definitely think... So there are two things interesting with Ben Johnson, and you can choose which direction we go for the rest of this conversation. One is the diversity of that running game. Two is running McVay stuff without paying the cost that McVeigh has paid over the course of his career. Yeah. Dealer's choice. What do you like? Uh, that second one. Yeah. So watch these lines. Put the Lions pass concepts and put the Vikings pass concepts out on the field together. You can even kind of throw the Seahawks and Shane Waldron in here a little bit. I want to get to them in a second. But yeah, throw them in there. Why not? They're running arches. They're running drift. The running throwback, whatever the freaking deep post that changes and isn't actually a post. I can't remember what it's called. Play is. And they're running the stuff, man. They're running the goods. They're running the hits. Like everybody who had Kyle Shanahan's 2018 playbooks posted clips up on Twitter in the 2019 <laughs> era being like, that's what this is. That's what that is, right? Math, math it, it's always the freaking, it's the Stafford throw to Cooper Cup against the Bears in like week one of like the like when Stafford first arrived with the Rams and he hits it and everybody knew what, what the play was. I can't remember it was like a deep over. I can't remember what it was. But everybody knew the name of the play and everybody had the design. I was like, this is a classic Sean McVay concept and they're running it from the gun. And like, and, and it was just, it was, it was everybody on Twitter on week one trying to rush to show how much they knew about football. But that moment of like, oh snap, McVay's getting to his, bu- his, his, his buckets. He's getting to his spots on the court in terms of passing game and passing concepts and shot plays without having to go under center, without having to run the ball three times and fake it first, like this is the evolution. This is the next iteration. When Kevin O'Connell took over the Vikings, I 100% thought we were going to get old McVay stuff. And we got new McVay stuff. We got McVay Stafford stuff. We got, hey, I'm going to run these passing concepts without paying the cost, without paying the, the, the toll to get on the bridge, without running the three 
run plays and going under center and have my quarterback turn his back to the defense. Ben Johnson's running all the Stafford stuff, which is hilarious because he's the OC of the Detroit Lions who had Matthew Stafford for a decade and couldn't get this done. How are these guys doing this? How are they leapfrogging over the cost? How, how are they stepping aside? And like, they're basically taking the McVay offense so meticulously built, so carefully constructed and just stripping it down for parts and saying, I want that, I want that, I want that. I don't want any of this anymore. And it's successful. And in my head, when I think of the McVay offense, I think about you have to run to set this up. Like you said, it's a run-oriented offense and I agree. But somehow they're pulling this off. The How are they doing it? I really like, like beyond... Lions have elite offensive line and and very good receiver in Amon Ross St. Brown. And Vikings have quite solid offensive line and very elite receiver in Jefferson Jefferson. So they just have the talent to get away with it. I really don't have like a clean answer. But these guys have found a way to kind of leap, like turbocharge the McVay offense and leapfrog it in a way that I think is really important. And then for the Seahawks and, and Shane Waldron and for Geno, what they do like really quickly is they keep a diverse running game. They, they they keep the ability to go play action and get shot plays going off, but they do it from the pistol. And the pistol is so important to this. We talk about under center versus shotgun, but there's a third quarterback alignment, which is pistol, which where the quarterback's in a shotgun position, right? He's, he's not directly under the center, but the running back is still behind him. And the pistol is a huge part of where the league meta is heading. When you look at pistol rates right now, you see the leading team last year was the Atlanta Falcons at 38%, 38%. That's freaking huge. They ran an insane amount of pistol. That is is Arthur Smith, and that's the development of that insanely diverse running game. You see the uh, the the Ravens at thirty two percent. Greg Roman, insanely diverse running game, and then round out the top five, you see the Seahawks, you see the Eagles, and you see the Cardinals. Right, chuck, chuck the Cardinals away. Air raid Donson's Cliff. We hate him. That's your Shane Steichen. That's your Shane Waldron. Or what's is, what's is Steichen's first name? Shane. Am I getting that wrong? They're both Shane. No, that's right. That's they're right. Shane. All right, they're Shane's. The Shane Steichen and Waldron. And it's the way these guys get diverse running games and then play action concepts off of it. And so like this, this, the, the new iteration of the McVay offense and, and the way that Waldron particularly has integrated the pistol into changing that running game and still getting juice out of it without going fully under center and turning his back. To me, these are like, that's, these are, these are huge examples of how these names in particular are kind of pushing leagues envelope. I mean, and Sean McVay basically told us that this was going to be the case after that 2018 year, after the Super Bowl, when the blueprint was laid out for stopping his offense, what's the first thing he started to change? It wasn't the passing concepts. It was the running concepts. We were like, oh, we can't, which is kind of funny. Like one front just blew up the whole offense. There's like, oh man, we only have two plays on offense. We run outside zone and we run duo. And they found a play that stops both. Now and it was a crisis. But eventually like his answer was doing more like traps and pull, having guards pull and you saw Shanahan kind of undergo the same evolution during that same time. Like, they're not running outside zone as much as they used to. Even the 49ers who are like, that's what you think of when you think of the Shanahan offense. So I think that's where the league is going. Just more intricate run games and how to get into that. And then throwing motion on top of that is how you kind of get to the plays without paying the cost, like you said. Like, you don't have to be under center. You don't have to do a play-action fake that asks the quarterback to to turn his back to the defense. I think that's where the league is going. That's where we're seeing the changes to the meta is figuring out ways to get the same plays, get to the same plays without that buy-in. And every move these guys have made over the last three years, like the top offensive minds, especially on that side of the spectrum, like on in the McVay, Shanahan side of things, it's been, how do we do this without running play action? Yeah. Basically. 
and 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 it's crazy, but like if there's a one liner for this episode, it's the McVeigh Shanahan offense, like offense and all of its iterations and all of its children have been trying to figure out how to do this without play action most effectively for the last five years. And the guy who probably does it best was the offensive quality control coach for the De- Detroit Lions four years ago. Like Ben Johnson. Like, right. It just, it, with, with Goff, with the guy who couldn't right. hack it. He, he, did what, did, he, did, he did what McVay couldn't do. And, and to his credit, he does, or to McVay's credit, McVay was dealing with a terrible offensive line after 2018. Right. And he's dealing with a very good offensive line. But, like schematically, he found the answers that McVeigh really couldn't find until he got Stafford. And McVeigh was finding other solutions and doing other stuff. And like, at least more than one way to skin a cat. There's no like, you know, Ark of the Covenant of offense where it's like, this is the one way. But still, like, it's crazy. And right. If, if again, like in, in the uh, get a guy drunk and ask him a question world, asking Ben Johnson, like, hey, how'd you do it? McVeigh didn't. Oh, I would love to love to ask an absolutely toasted Ben Johnson that question. I will not get the opportunity to. An important thing to talk about, I think, as we close, like, I don't think you can talk about future league meta without talking about quarterback run. Oh, wow. He's already shaking his head. He knew. He's the last part of my notes. Lockstep, baby. All right. This is good. Well, you and I, we're Mahomes and Kelsey. All right. Just give us room. Give us a little bit of space. Hey, who, wait, am I Mahomes or Kelsey? Who you want to be? I'll be Kelsey. Wow. I, Kelsey's I, cooler. I guess Kelsey hosted SNL. He did. He did. He did. He's got a he's got a podcast. Mahomes is a family man. Puts ketchup on his steak. Sounds like Kermit the Frog. He's on a show with Marcus Mariota and, and Kirk Cousins. That's the company you're it, keeping. <laughs> is Mahomes not cool? Now that I'm listing it out loud and just like his characteristics sounds like Kermit ketchup on steak, family man, lame and right. Show with Kirk and, and Mariota. I'm wearing Mahomes isn't cool. No, he's definitely not cool. Next week on the Re- this week on the Regret NFL show. I'm Ben Solak. It, the big question we're answering is, is, is Mahomes cool? Can Mahomes hang? Is he, is is he Mahomes, cool enough? Is, is Mahomes a fucking dork? <laughs> <laughs> man, uh, in terms of uh, pot calling the kettle black, man, Ben Solak asking if Mahomes is a dork. It's just not. It's just you can't. You can't be throwing stones from glass houses like this. I would like we're literally having an hour long podcast talking about how cool, <laughs> cool Ben Johnson is. <laughs> okay, so Mahomes is probably cool upon review. This is not the important thing. The important thing is the quarterbacks running the ball. Uh, we did a whole pod on quarterback mobility. We talked about how the quarterbacks are generally running the ball more. And also the quarterbacks who run the ball most are also running the ball more. Like, running's going up, baby. Um, I think this is a good, like, case-in-point example of a water's edge, of, like, a limit of the pendulum, of how the meta kind of narrows and defines itself, right? Like, we talked about how RPO is like, oh, this is going to be the new thing, and then it just wasn't. And there's a lot of reasons for that, but, like, when, like, we've seen over the last few years, like our bills are pretty simple. They kind of limit your offense. It's better to just have like a true drop back passing game and be able to do a wider variety of stuff. The costs of RPO were so great that it really couldn't become like the actual defining part of the league. Meta. It could become a little part, but not a big part. Quarterback mobility. I think that if I were starting a team, I would go to find a quarterback that can run. I'm also not sure I would build the team such that the quarterback had to run to move the football. I want to be able to do it. I don't want to have to live with it. This is the Mahomes versus Josh Allen conversation. Mahomes scrambles when he needs to. Josh Allen scrambles when he thinks he needs to. 
but it's probably a little bit more than he should. He takes a few extra hits and you worry about that for your $45, $50 million man. Quarterback run is going to be part of the league meta. But I think it, it's probably going to be a smaller part than we hope, than we think, certainly than we probably sounded like when we were talking on that podcast. And I think then just like the NFL fan base expects at large, because I think that you don't want to have it be your ship. You don't want to have it to be the thing that drives you. You don't want to live in a world where every single Sunday you need your quarterback taking hit after hit after hit after hit in order to succeed. If you're going to live that way, you have to start you don't, I was about to say you have to start cycling quarterbacks like you cycle running backs. That's too far. You, you, you can't cycle quarterbacks like you cycle running backs. But you're going to be in a world where you're never going to want to pay a quarterback a lot of money. And that's just not where ownership's going to want to be. That's not where general managers are going to want to be. So like, I, I feel almost as if like quarterback mobility can be part of your, your meta as a, as a team for like a few years. But then you need to transition out of it. You need to have an opportunity to get away from it and just not rely on it as much. Part of the ship, not the whole ship. And the team to watch here is the Colts. Jim Ursay speaks unbelievably glowingly about quarterback mobility. He did when he benched Matt Ryan. He did at the end of last season. All the other day was talking about how important it is to have mobility at quarterback. They hire Shane Steichen. They draft Anthony Richardson. It's very clear. This team wants to build the ship out of quarterback mobility. And for as long as Richardson is an unproven and underdeveloped passer, which you and I both like Richardson, but he does have like a lot of roughness around his edges as a thrower, then building the ship out of quarterback mobility is the great is a great idea. The moment that they can transition and get out of a trap door where like Richardson becomes experienced enough and 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 successful enough as a passer to maybe like not do that as much, it's going to be fascinating to see what they do. They're kind of like a couple years behind like Justin Fields and the Bears, where it's great. Right, Fields can clearly run and it's amazing, but we need to figure out how to get a passing offense under this guy or it's never going to work long term. So quarterback mobility, again, like I, I don't think you're going to be able to talk about the league meta over the next few years without talking about quarterback mobility, but I think it's going to be more of a of a fraction of it, a, 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 a part of it. Not so much like the cardinal thing, the way that like two weeks ago, I might have hoped it would have been. I, I don't know. I, I think this is one area where the league is outsmarting itself. And the the idea that of a franchise quarterback is kind of preventing teams from going all in on running quarterbacks. I, what if I could guarantee you a play type where if you get to third and three, you have an 80% chance of succeeding? Like that's what a running, like quarterback runs give you. Third and three 80% success rate over the last five years. That's an insane stat. It's like the the Jalen Hurts QB 80% thing. success rate in the last five years in terms of like for what? For whom? For just quarterback runs. Just oh, quarterback for just quarterback runs, period? Wow. On third and three and less, 80%. They averaged 0.04 EPA per play. Uh, read, op- read option plays. And that's success rate, which means that even if you're getting to four, if you're getting a fourth and one, that's not included as a success. But that absolutely no, is a not. success because you're just running at a sneak and right. you're getting it. Yeah, it's like the Jalen Hurts QB sneak thing, though. Like just extrapolate it. Like if the Eagles got to fourth and one, if they got three or nine yards on those first three plays, it was an auto first down, and it, it's it's almost like that. If you just first get and to nine, baby, just get to third and three, you're you're gonna get a first down basically, and then. Read option plays. So just any play, zone read, any play where the quarterback has an option to hand it off or keep it, 0.04 EPA per play. That is better than your standard dropback pass. Your standard dropback pass averages negative EPA. Like, you don't need to be a good quarterback to even get a functioning offense out of it, as evidenced by Justin Fields, who was 
one of the worst, like in terms of just passing production, one of the worst seasons we've ever seen. Like it was J- Josh Rosen bad if you take away his scrambles and his runs. But with the scrambles and the runs, they had a viable offense. Like the offense wasn't the problem with Chicago last year, it was the defense. And I think Justin Fields is like the perfect, uh, the perfect example of how high of a floor you have on offense if your guy can just run. And I, I don't understand. Like, I, I feel like we're comparing. You're like, oh, I don't want a quarterback if he has to run. I'd rather have a guy that, like, if he if he needs to run, he can do it. But, like, why are we? Why is that the standard? Why are we comparing this to, like, the top-level quarterbacks? The alternative to, like, a Justin Fields-type quarterback isn't Patrick Mahomes. The alternative is, like, having Ryan Fitzpatrick instead. Having, having to send out an Andy Dalton QB1 tweet in 2020 in August. That's the the thing you're trying to avoid by having Justin Fields. Yeah, so I, I don't know. I, I think NFL teams are kind of like just so focused on finding that franchise quarterback that they maybe they should look at the position as more replaceable than it Fungible, is. Like yeah. that's that's definitely the case in college because it's it should be harder in theory to find a good quarterback in college, but it's not. It's easier because they just put a, a running back back there and the offense works. If you could cycle quarterback if you could if, if you had a way to and why can't you to, right it, it, right exactly if you had a way to consistently cycle through quarterbacks and to, and and deliver consistent quality offense year over year with different qbs if you had if you had that that secret on a hard drive <laughs> jerry jones would pay you three billion dollars for it that's not true because that hot hard drive exists and it wears a flat brim cap in san francisco that's fair Okay, he would pay you whatever Kyle Shanahan's salary is. But like that, that I like No, that, he would hire Mike McCarthy actually in a scenario. The, the idea that like like it if you could really pull it off from like a politics perspective and from like a team locker room perspective and whatever perspective, where you're just like, we draft a quarterback with great mobility who's kind of functional as a passer, we play him for four, four or five years, and then we draft another one and we go. You would be you'd be you would be what we think about the things you and I would say about that coach. We would love him. We, like, yeah, it'd be, it'd be awesome. He'd be one of the greatest. And like, there's a chance we do know how to do that. And it is quarterback run. And just nobody's going to have the stones to do it. But like, yeah, I go back to what, what I said when I opened the, the, this segment, which was I, I, would, I need to have a quarterback who can run. I'm not sure if I'm all the way there where I, like, I, I'm, I'm hesitant around a quarterback who needs to run, right? Like kind of like the, the verbs really matter in terms of like what style of guy you have. Right, yeah. That's definitely the case. But yes. I don't. I don't know. I. I just feel like we're not. We're not starting enough running quarterbacks. We're not giving them enough. Like the fact that we're we've already given up on Trey Lance is just insane to me. Yeah, that's bananas. We should do. We should do a segment. Let's do a pod in August about that because he's just got the dumbest thing. Yeah, it's so irritating. He's played four games. He's just a big fast boy with a broken ankle. Give him a chance. But also, like, if any team should do the quarterback rotation thing, like. 49ers, please do it. Like, right. This is where Kyle Shanahan's interpersonal skills enter the conversation. And that's where what, <laughs> what muddies, what muddies our, uh, our view of the great God in the, in, in the, uh, in the flat brimmed cap. Yeah. The other guy that this conversation makes me think of is Lamar. Lamar is it. Lamar is the quarterback who yeah. can run. And when he runs, he's unbelievable, but he doesn't need to because he's an unreal passer. And this is the year that we are finally, maybe, hopefully. Going to get to see it the way we've long deserved to see it. Todd Monk and our saving grace. I'm so freaking excited for the Ravens, dude. Okay. That was, hey, 
Good pardon. Good pardon there, Kelsey. That was good stuff. It was good. <laughs> good, good. What is it? Relation, relationism? Me and you, Steven. Yeah. Just look at us. Just look at us relating out here on these airwaves. All right. This was the future of NFL offense. Next week will be the future of NFL defense. And we're going to take everything that we talked about and try to figure out how the defensive minds in the league are going to respond to it. If you enjoyed this show, make sure you listen to that one. Make sure you review. Make sure you subscribe. Make sure you say nice things to me and Steven so we can feel good about ourselves, even though we're kind of feeling ourselves right now because of the whole Kelsey Mahomes things. Thank you to producer Carlos Chiriboga, who is stepping in for Eduardo Ocampo today and next week. Appreciate you, Carlos. As well as the additional production supervision offered by Arjuna Ramgopal and Connor Nevins. We will talk to you next week.